0: One of my uh, favorite places to go for a retreat is the New Commodity Hermitage Monastery, which is about 26 miles south of Big Sur. The drive is beautiful, the monastery is even more beautiful. It sits on a hillside with views that overlook the Pacific Ocean. It is a wonderfully sacred place. And the Lord has been in my life in significant times when I've gone there to pray and to ask Him for direction and just to be in His presence. But it's actually not easy to get up to that monastery. There's this little paved road that is always in need of repair. It serpentines up the hill and it's not uncommon if you go there to find a pothole or two or find cones that have blocked off a place where part of it has slipped down. It's particularly in this sad condition when it's been raining. A few years ago, I think part of the road was actually washed out and if you get the newsletter from the New Commodity Hermitage after the spiritual part, comes the practical part. Like if you'd like to give to fix this road, that would really be helpful and you could actually get up the hill a little bit easier than perhaps your last visit. But when I think about how wet it can get there at times and what damage that does, it's just plain to see the erosive effect of too much water on that little road. And if it's not taken care of, if there's no drainage that's uh, put in, if there's no consistent repair, that road will be impassable. If you're a visitor or a pilgrim, you won't be able to get to the monastery. I think that's an apt illustration for what our gospel reading points us to today, because this is a gospel passage on this second Sunday of Eastertide that speaks of Christ's encounter specifically with Thomas the Apostle, known to us in church tradition as Doubting Thomas. Which is kind of a misnomer. Well, it's not a misnomer, but it's just not the whole definition of who Thomas the Apostle is. And we'll see that. But it, it got me reflecting on this whole idea of, of doubt and how often we experience it like Thomas. But look, but remember what the text that was just read says. Jesus is in the, he appears in the upper room with the disciples. This is Easter Sunday evening. So he has just been raised from the dead. But that night, the disciples who don't know really what's going on. They're still wondering what had happened, if you might recall, last week's gospel. They're in there in the upper room. The doors are locked, and Jesus appears before them, and he says, peace be with you. And of course, they are overjoyed, and he he commissions them. This is the the great commission in Matthew is actually, this is John's version of what that looks like, breathes on them, prepares them for mission. But we're going to spend our time actually on his next appearance, which is a week later, and now the, the one apostle who had been missing in that first time, Thomas, is with them. And you recall that the text says that in between those two Sundays, Thomas reconnected with the other disciples and they said, We've seen the Lord. He's alive. He says they were overjoyed. We would say they were ecstatic. Like they can't believe this. Now they're beginning to understand what the resurrection means. Now they're beginning to, to realize that when he said, In three days I will be raised from the dead, there he is, he's been raised from the dead. And then they've been commissioned. He says, he breathes on them and they and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. And they can't wait to tell Thomas. And they tell Thomas, and you know what Thomas's response is. He says, I need proof. He says, unless I see. Unless I put my my finger in his hand and my hand in his side, I will not believe. And so when Jesus comes on that second Sunday, he says again, peace be with you to the whole congregation. And then he turns and he addresses Thomas specifically. He says, put your finger here in my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And the text doesn't tell us that Thomas did that. Rather, I think it tells us that he was cut to the quick. And suddenly in the presence of the Lord, all doubt, all, all skepticism, all needs for proof disappear in a moment. And he says, my Lord and my God As I said, I think sometimes Thomas gets a bad rap by being called Doubting Thomas. But this is intentional, that the Lord is showing us something. He's showing us, and, and John includes it in his gospel for a lot of reasons, but the first reason is that we can identify with Thomas, can't we? There, there are times that we doubt. We may doubt, it could be across the board, some people don't start doubting, but they start da- eventually they might think, did the resurrection really happen? If you've done any kind of apologetics, you know there's a whole host of things about, well, was, you know, there's the swoon theory. Maybe he was not really killed on the cross. He just sort of fainted and they thought he was dead, so they lifted him up, uh, took him down and then buried him, but then he revived. There's all kinds of things that are in the apologetic category that may creep into, why is this really true? If you've studied any kind of theology, there's plenty of theologians who actually don't believe in the resurrection, but that doesn't stop them from writing about it or stop them from describing who Christ actually could be if he wasn't raised from the dead. So sometimes there are doubts that people have. Sometimes doubts develop over time. If this actual sermon doesn't really kind of speak to you at this point, maybe you're like, I don't have any doubts. That would, that would be great. But make a note for people you might meet that have doubts then. Take some notes. Because, in this time, Jesus is revealing himself to the disciples and thus to us through the Scripture, His Word, through the Spirit, and through the sacrament. He is saying, "I've been ra-, He's showing that He's been raised from the dead. Jaroslav Pelikan, a good theologian professor, says, "If the resurrection is true, then nothing else matters." he then said the opposite. If it's not true, then nothing else matters, referring to the church. But it is true. And so, so nothing else around us that we might be distracted by, focused on, or somehow has a greater priority in our life, that, that can't supersede the fact of this resurrection and what that means for us. But if we're honest, there's times where doubt is more common than we think, more frequent than we care to admit. It's hard to envision going through life without that. You know, some. what are the sources of times where we might experience that? Maybe it's not that, Lord, I I don't doubt that you're raised from the dead, but I just wonder if all that power and that love and that purpose that, that I've heard about for my life is something that you are actually still working on. You know, going through hardship and difficulties kind of creates a natural temptation to doubt. It's kind of like if you ever bought a car, you might think, well, I like... That model and that's interesting. I like these features, and I, you know, I have this idea of what I'd like to buy. But then when you go and you talk to the dealer and the dealer tells you what the price is and what the extras are and the warranty, and you start to start thinking about the cost of what that might be. Sometimes when we go through life and we experience those hardships and difficulties, the cost of what it means to follow Christ is suddenly front and center in our minds. It's elevated, it's gotten more expensive. And those can be times where we are thinking, you know what, hmm, I better be sure of what I believe. The temptation to doubt is there. We may ask ourselves, is this really true? Now, if you've ever experienced that, I just want to encourage you that you're in good company. John the Baptist experiences the same thing. Matthew 11, he's in prison. It's not gone according to plan. And he sends, if you know that passage, he sends some of his disciples to Jesus and says, are you the one? Are you really the Messiah? The implication is I'm, I'm in a bad place. And I've been giving my whole life to being in the desert, to, you know, subsistence existence, to dealing with the Pharisees, to baptizing people, and all that goes with that. And it's gotten tougher. And I need to know, are you the one? And Jesus says, go back and tell John what? the blind see, the lame walk, the dead are raised. Sometimes when things get hard, we, we, we ask, as John does, is that, is that really you, Jesus? Are you really the one? Are you the Messiah? Sometimes we, we feel that we, we start doubting because, you know, we're, we're in the midst, and this time there's so many competing worldviews of what it means to be a person or a Non-person or transhumanism, just in some of the casual conversations, there are all kinds of alternate views on who we are, or who God is, or what is spiritual. And in the old days, speaking when 30 years ago, it wasn't, um, you could actually have a conversation about these things. But such is not our case today, I think. I think these worldviews are aggressively advocated. And they're often fiercely defended. There's little dialogue and there's a lot in the way of pressure. Well, you know, that can squeeze us. That can cause us to doubt. That can cause us to check. That can cause us to say, as Thomas did, I want some proof. Christian history is full of famous doubters. C.S. Lewis, Mother Teresa, I mentioned John the Baptist, any of the great reformers, Luther, Calvin even expressed some about faith and how hard it was to maintain that. So, so being, having times of doubt is, puts us solidly in the midst of the disciples. It's not a place necessarily of shame, but it is a place of attention. And Thomas gives us that access to say, yeah, there's times I doubt like he did. But what's our way through this doubt? This is where we see Jesus, if he, the, the upper room on both Sundays. He's in the midst of this doubt, so especially when Thomas is there. He stands and he comes in front of the disciples and he says, peace be with you on two occasions. He actually says it three times in the whole passage. But he starts with, my peace be with you. So here's the thing. How do, how do we get through times of doubt? I want to say, be with Jesus. see that Jesus is in the midst of those times. That even though we may be unsure, even though we are checking if we can pay that price, if if we realize that we don't have enough, we don't have enough emotional resource, we don't have enough energy, we don't have enough grace, we don't have enough of what we think it needs to be God's person in that situation. Whatever that situation is. And we start to doubt, Lord, in some way. Are you going to come through for me? Are you going to make a way? Are you going to provide this healing? Are you, you know, whatever that is. We start to doubt. Know that I want to just say, look for Jesus in the midst of that. See, Jesus isn't leaving Thomas on his own. He's not saying, "Well, sorry, you got to be believing, or you're out." He comes to him, and he addresses Thomas's doubts specifically. His very words, he dialogues with him. It's not much of a dialogue because it's the risen Lord, but he he uses Thomas's words, and he begins where Thomas is. And Thomas draws quick to come to close that gap. So know that whenever we're in a time of doubt, look for Jesus in the midst of that. Don't rely, I mean, don't, there's a temptation to rely on our intellect and ability, but this is somewhat of a fatal attraction. We, think about it, we have a very limited and finite intellectual capability. We have a certain range of emotional Responses. We have our own familiar biases and prejudices. And we're going to rely on all that stew to decide whether we believe that Jesus is raised from the dead or that he is powerful enough or that he can work through this situation or that he has a future for the church or he has a future for people I care about. Thomas is confronted, if you will. He's not confronted, but Jesus comes and he says, as I said, you know, okay, put your finger in my hand. But Thomas isn't relying on his own abilities. He's not relying on his show me the, the proof. He's saying, I just, I, I don't believe, and when he's confronted with the Lord, he responds. So, I, I think there's few things harder in life than to see somebody walk away from the Lord, or not come because they are trapped in their own intellectual capability, such as it is. But how do you take an infinite God who's so much more powerful than we are, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipotent, who has His plans, His ways are so far above our own, and we're going to say, all right, Lord, I I need to to figure, you know, I'm going to rely on my very fallible capabilities against your infinite loving graces. Now, let me sidebar. I don't want to say that there aren't times we have to think through ways that we were raised in a certain Christian tradition, particular truths that were kind of overemphasized at times and things that ended up to be probably more damaging than people really intended. Those things are true. Those have to be thought through. Those have to be prayed through. That's not really the, the doubt that I'm talking about. To, to be... Um, objective and to ask questions and to come to conclusions that not everything was great in what the church did, that's entirely legitimate. But that's, that's not the doubt that we're talking about here. Talking about doubt that somehow draws us away from the Lord as the risen Christ. Here's something that helps me understanding the Lord in the midst. Um, when Jesus says three times, peace be with you, that'd be my exhortation for all of us. Like Lord, I'm in the midst of doubt about, and you can fill it in, and I just want to be in your presence. Maybe we don't have to talk about it today, but I just want to be with you. It's interesting that that Thomas's doubts evaporate in the presence of the risen, wounded Christ. There's something mystical, there's something deeply powerful and profound about the presence of the Lord. And if I if there was one practical suggestion from this, it would be to just be in that presence sit without agenda without noise and just say lord i want to be with you that and you don't even have to put the whatever particular concerns are on the table at that point that is tremendously powerful so we do doubt jesus sees us through that he meets us in that place but here's a really interesting thing from this passage jesus actually uses that doubt to advance his purposes for this world and to advance our place in mission? Thomas's doubt was actually Christ's plan for him and for the gospel. When, when, G, when Thomas says, my Lord and my God, some commentators think that the, John put that in there because it's really the climax of his gospel. This is the only time in Scripture where, where Jesus is called, my God. He's more often referred to as the Son of God. Or the Son of Man. But here he's called by Thomas, my God. This is the basis for a lot of Christology that would come down to us. The formation of who our understanding of Jesus actually is. He is fully God. Why do we say that? Well, in part we say that because he's acknowledged as God here. So again, some see this Thomas's expression as the climactic part of the entire Gospel of John. So it's not random. It's not by accident. Here's what Gregory the Great says about this. He wrote a commentary on this passage. 6th century um, Latin bishop in the West. Dearly beloved, what do you see in these events? Do you really believe that it was by chance that this chosen disciple was absent, referring to Thomas, and then came and heard, heard and doubted, doubted and touched, touched and believed? It was not by chance, but in God's providence. In a marvelous way, God's mercy arranged that the disbelieving disciple in touching the wounds of his master's body should heal our wounds of disbelief. Thomas is a kindred spirit with us at various times in our life. But Jesus comes in the midst of that and his very presence is undeniable in terms of who he is as the resurrected Christ. But he uses now that time of doubt to advance his agenda, if you want to think of it that way, advance his mission. Some of you know that Thomas would go on to, according to the church tradition, which are the writings that are post-New post, post New Testament canon, he would go on to preach in India. There's a, a book from the late 2nd century AD called The Doctrine of the Apostles, which was where Thomas's St. Thomas is referred to as the one who evangelizes India. And today, uh, if you go particularly south of India, Kerala, and... That area, you can, there are the St. Thomas Christians as they're referred to. He's revered in India. His tomb is alleged to be there by church tradition. If, he, if the Lord had let him stay in this doubt, where would he be? If Thomas had not responded, my Lord and my God, what opportunities would he have? But as it is with Thomas, so it is with us. Doubt is not something that we can necessarily avoid, but it's not something to fear, unless we persist in using our own very limited resources, trying to figure it out. But if we would come into the presence of the Lord without speech, without anything but, Lord, I just need your presence, I think we would see him work in our hearts, activate more of our faith, trust in him more. And as he moves us through that particular time, use that to be more his servant, to come alongside of those people that are in doubt, and you say, look, I've walked in that myself. Some of you I know have already done that with people. I've been where you are. You, you think in your mind. And he gives you the opportunity to say that. Or I'm more prepared for ministry or for the work that you have me to do because I've known what it means to, to have the pressure increase. And I know what it means to feel the doubt about whether you're really in this with me or not, Lord. But you got me through that. And this next thing that I'm facing, you will get me through as well. We should give thanks for Thomas, for St. Thomas. Surprised by doubt may have been Thomas's first experience, but he was even more surprised by the Lord's presence, by the Lord's reaction, and by the Lord's using of him through this very thing. May we be surprised by doubt in our lives, or when we are, know that the Lord is not surprised, but he is always with us, and his purposes always glorify him, and are meant to bless us. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the Sermon Podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.